Well, good morning to you. It's so good to see you guys here with us this morning. Thank you for being here to worship with us, to be a part of our service. Got a couple of quick announcements I want to bring to your attention um, in your bulletin. I hope you grabbed one on the way in. If not, there's plenty more that you can grab on your way out. Uh, The first is that we are still collecting our Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes. Uh, Thank you to everyone who has brought yours back, uh, filled up. We have plenty more out in the uh, vestibule in the corner over there, so please continue to get your shoe boxes, get them packed, uh, bring them back by Sunday, November the 12th, um, and we'll have a time sometime after that to pray over these shoe boxes as we prepare to send them out to the Operation Christmas Child Center. Second uh, that I want to bring your attention to is that we are now officially less than one month away from our VIP Sunday. Uh, So please continue to be inviting your VIPs to our service on November the 19th. We still have more um, invite cards down here, as well as our response cards, where you can put your first name and their first name, so that way we can pray over those individuals and we can pray over what God is going to do um, in that service through their life as they come to uh, not only worship, but to hear the gospel. So continue to keep your VIPs in mind for VIP Sunday. Um, all the other announcements that you need are straight in your bulletin, straight in the back there in the vestibule. Uh, so please make sure you get a copy so you can be aware of everything that is coming up. Thank you again for being here with us this morning. Let's take a moment to pray together as we prepare to be in our time of worship. Let's pray. Lord, we are just so humbled We are so grateful, so thankful that we are able to be here. We can enter into your house. We can be with your people. We can be in your presence. Lord, there are some of us who have experienced your grace and your mercy in unending ways this week, and we praise you for the way that you have blessed them. Lord, there are those of us who have gone through hard times this week, who have faced darkness, who have faced trial and trouble, uncertainty. And so, Lord, we praise you that you continue to show your grace to them as they are here even now. Lord, even in the midst of the darkest, you are still the great light. You are still the good and kind God. Circumstances do not determine who you are. Situations do not determine the level of your goodness, for you remain the good God. So, Lord, we are so thankful to have a good God. We are thankful to be able to experience that goodness, to be able to experience that grace, to be able to proclaim with the psalmist that we have tasted and seen the goodness of God. Lord, you are so good. How can we begin to repay you? How can we begin to give back to you who has given everything for us? So, Lord, we come today trying to give back our praise and our worship, giving you the offerings of our hearts and our lives as only we can give. So be with us in this service. Be honored, be glorified as we magnify and exalt 
the name that is above every other name, the name of the Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm going to invite you to please stand and uh, let's sing of the joy that is in this house today. Shout out your praise. 
moment to pray again together. Lord, uh, we are again in awe of how much you have given to us and the blessings that you bestow on us. Lord, in the view of your infinite mercies, your unending grace, we are so bountiful, even when it feels as if we have nothing. And so, Lord, as you have given to us May you help us give back to you. Lord, help us to return to you what is rightfully yours. For all good things come from you. So, Lord, as we give back to you, we pray that you bless it. Use it as only you can to be a furtherment of your kingdom. To spread the word of the gospel that all would know that you our God. So, Lord, we give to you as you have asked us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand with us. Let's sing together. My Jesus, my Savior,
Thank you for your singing. You may be seated. You know, as believers, we rejoice in the promise that God has made to us. However, we also rejoice that God is a promise keeper and that the promise that he has made to us, he will keep. That his promise is sure and it is true. That He is a faithful God. That though we remain faithless, He remains faithful. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn to the book of Galatians, chapter number 6. Galatians, chapter number 6. We're going to start in verse number 11 and read down to the end of the chapter. Galatians chapter number 6, starting with verse number 11. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised, you're not even Keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. Let's take a moment to pray together. Holy Lord, your word is truth. Your word is powerful, it is authoritative, completely inerrant in every respect. There is no possible way for your word to be wrong or to contradict itself. So as we come to this time, not by mere coincidence, but by divine appointment, we pray that your word would have its way in us. We pray that your word would impact us, that as the sharp, double-edged sword, that it would pierce to the very heart of our being, that we would be transformed, changed, renewed. We would be convicted where we need to be convicted, encouraged where we need to be encouraged, emboldened where we need to be emboldened. That as your word has its way in us, that we submit to what you are saying. And we respond in faithful obedience to the way in which you call us. So have your way in us, in this place, 
in this time is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I originally had a different passage, a different text for this morning, but as the Lord worked in my life, and as the Lord spoke and convicted me, He led me to this passage instead, and led me to talk about great change. Now, I understand change is a word that we don't like. Change is something that is unfamiliar to us. Change is something that we have hesitation towards. However, the truth is that change is a difficult necessity. It's a difficult necessity. Change has to happen. Things cannot always stay as they are. Change is a very difficult necessity. We need this. We need change. We we cannot always just stay as we are. Things have to change. Well, things have worked in the past and it worked back then. Why can't it work now? I'm not saying that it can't. But sometimes change is still necessary. Sometimes we still need it. Even if it worked in the past, even if it was good for a time, it was good for a season. Doesn't mean that we don't need change. Well, we've seen the Lord work in churches. We've seen Him do great things. We have seen Him throughout history do wondrous works through the church. We have seen Him do great things even coming out of a pandemic. Why do we need to change in the church? Because change is still a difficult necessity. Just to show us why we need change. Why do we need to change? Well, number one, evangelical beliefs have suffered. According to the poll given in the state of theology, listen to the results of some of these so-called evangelical beliefs. When asked if God accepts the worship Of all religions, in 2016, 48% of evangelicals agreed. Now jump forward to 2022, 56% agreed. Over half of evangelicals believe that God accepts the worship of any religion. If asked... That Jesus was a good person, but he was not God. In 2020, 30% of evangelicals agreed. And in 2022, 43% of evangelicals believe that Jesus is not God. If asked if the Bible is not literally true... That the Bible is, in fact, errant and in error. In 2016, 17% of evangelicals agreed. And in 2022, it is up to 26% of evangelicals that say the word of God is not true. Evangelical beliefs have suffered. But if that's not enough, Christianity itself has plateaued. Christianity 
is now no longer the primary religion in America. As of 2020, the majority religion in America is unaffiliated. No religion at all. What does that say to us? Not only has Christianity just kind of plateaued and has become content where it is, but religion itself does not matter anymore. Religion doesn't matter. Not just Christianity. No religion matters. And now we live in the age of the unaffiliated. So now I ask, is it any wonder why we need change? Is it any wonder why there has to be a change in the church? Why are we trying to put a heavy emphasis on a VIP Sunday? On just one event where people come to church for one day? Because the people in the world are being fed lies that they don't even need a religion anymore. That when they come to church, all they hear are lies Fables, myths, all they do is sit around people who think that they're better than everyone else. And this is the sad state we are in. The church needs a change. We've lost our beliefs. Apparently, we don't even matter to the world anymore. We're just a group of people that just meet on Sundays just to see each other, just to have a time of fun, a time of fellowship. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Paul, the apostle, has spent the entire book of Galatians, this entire letter, really chastising the churches in the Galatian region for their failure in staying true to biblical doctrine. They've allowed false teachers to come in and spread lies, and they have lost their sight of the truth of the gospel. They've lost sight of their mission as the church. So Paul has spent this letter chastising them for their error. And yet, in one final act of grace, one final act of grace, Paul gives these churches a way to bring change to the church. It is these same ways that we can have change in our church, not just First Baptist, in the church of Christ right now. So let's look at these changes. Number one, we have to reject Christ's counterfeit. We have to reject his counterfeit. This is the first step of action that Paul encourages these believers to do. To acknowledge and avoid the people who are deceptively acting as believers. There were these false teachers who had entered into these churches known as the Judaizers. The people who held to the strictest Jewish religion. They looked the part. They sounded right. They knew the law. They knew the Torah. They knew all about God. But they were a counterfeit. 
Paul calls them the people who desire to make a good showing in the flesh. That's who these counterfeits are. They don't want to make a good show of Christ. They want to make a good show of themselves. They are boastful in their religiosity. It is really because of these people that Jesus warns us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And this is why Jesus gives us this warning. And these are the people who, who make a good scene of their charity. Oh yes, I, I went and I serve over here. I do this, I do that. I can't begin to even describe the amount of things that I do. I can't even begin to, to list out every committee I've served on. Every act of service I've done. These are people who will utter loud and arrogant prayers. These are the people who use the most fancy words in their prayers. These are the people who will pray for five to ten minutes on end. These are the people who you say, man, I wish I could just pray like them. When they fast, they look weak and famished. So you would know that they're doing it. To these Galatian churches, Paul says that they compel the Galatians to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Oh, I know Paul shared the gospel with you. I know that you, you gave your life to Christ, but just do what we're doing. Just be like, be like we are. So they won't be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They are unwilling to die to sin and self. And so they begin to deceive many people just to uphold their reputation. Instead of sacrificing their name, they slaughter the name of Christ. And it is their boastful pride that leads to their hypocritical downfall. Because Paul says, they don't even keep the law themselves. They tell you this is what you need to do. They tell you, oh, you need to be in church every Sunday. You need to read your Bible back to front at least ten times over. You have to pray this many times a day. And when's the last time they opened their Bible? They tell you what to do. But they don't even do it themselves. They can talk a good talk. But they cannot match in their walk. They can speak religious speech. And yet they walk with the world. Their focus is not on Christ. Their focus is on the clones that they can make of themselves. These are the counterfeits we have to reject. In fact, Jesus talks of these people this way in Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too. Outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full 
of hypocrisy and lawlessness. These are the counterfeits. You say, well, Brandon, they don't, that was in Bible times. We don't have scribes and Pharisees anymore. Oh, but my friend, don't be naive. There are still legalistic Judaizers in the church now. There are still counterfeits in churches right now. In fact, I can almost guarantee you that there are counterfeits in church services happening at this very moment. They may not be in this building, but they're out there. They tell you, oh, all you need to do is read your Bible. All you got to do is say a prayer. All you got to do is this, this, and this. And you'll be just like us. There's the counterfeit. And it's these people that that Paul would later encourage the young pastor Timothy to reject. Get rid of them and avoid them at all costs. Because it is these people that are spreading the lies in churches. Week after week. Day after day. It's the people who say, yes, the Bible says this, but... Or you'll hear them say, let me tell you what I think it says. Oh, but friend, God told me this is what this means. Instead of proclaiming as the prophets, thus says the Lord. The first change, the first step of action we have to take is to reject the counterfeit of Christ. The second step we have to take is we have to reaffirm Christ's cross. We have to reaffirm his cross. Paul is very emphatic, not only in the book of Galatians, but in every letter that he writes and in his ministry, that neither he or anyone else could boast in anything or anyone except for Jesus Christ and his cross. In fact, let me point your attention to verse number 14 in the passage that we read together. Paul says, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the Greek language where we get may it never be, this is the strongest, most emphatic negative in the Greek language as Paul writes this. In the King James Version, it's translated God forbid In today's language, we would say a thousand times, no, would I ever boast in anything except for the cross of Jesus Christ. That's how emphatic he is on this point. Paul talks about the cross of Christ in 1 Corinthians 1. It is this very Christ crucified that he says to Jews is a stumbling block and to Gentiles it's foolishness. This same Christ crucified What kind of a a Jewish Messiah is going to rescue Israel from Roman oppression by hanging on a cross? How will He deliver His people with nails in His hands? To the Gentile point, how can we trust in a Savior who is dead in a grave? How can we trust in a Savior who literally died? And you expect me to give my life to a dead man who I cannot even see. 
That's this same crucified Christ. Yet in the same breath, as Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says the same Christ, the same cross, is the power of God and the wisdom of God to bring salvation to all men. It is this Christ and this cross. Why do we boast in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? When it is the symbol of darkness. When it is a picture of what our sin deserves. Because when Jesus died, there was a double crucifixion that took place. And Paul talks about it here. He says, number one, the world has been crucified to me. Sin no longer has power over us. Sin no longer commands our loyalty. Sin no longer gets to call the shots in our life. We are not held captive to the chains of bondage anymore. The cross of Christ liberates us from the world. It has been crucified to us. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans chapter 6, he says, even so, Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. When Jesus said, it is finished, the sin that once held you captive was loosed from you. It no longer holds you down. You no longer have to be obedient to the desires of the sinful flesh. Because when Christ died, the world was crucified to you. But Paul says also, I have been crucified to the world. Not only has the world been crucified to me, I have been crucified to the world. In other words, believer, this world is not our home. We don't stay here. This is not a permanent dwelling place for us. The cross of Christ has secured our eternal dwelling place in glory above. When He died, we were crucified to this evil, sinful world. How can we live in such an evil, dark place? Because when Christ died, guess what? So did my time here. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul encourages the believers, for our citizenship... It's in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. How can we have change in the church when we realize that our focus does not lie on what is here and now? but when our focus is on the eternity that awaits every person on this planet because we have been crucified to the world. This is why our boast and our pride, our glory, can only rest in the cross of Jesus Christ and not in anything that we can do because it is only the cross that can affect our relationship to sin and our residence in this sinful world. How do we have change in the church? We have to get back to the cross. We have to get back to the gospel. 
There are too many people in too many churches that say we are going to change and we're going to have a, a new great church. We're going to have a great mission, a great vision, a great focus, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to scratch the services. We're going to change the services up. We're not going to read out of a Bible anymore. We're going to talk about it. We're not going to preach the Word anymore. We're just going to tell you what we think it says. If we want change, we have to get focused on the gospel and nothing else. The third step of change that Paul talks about is that we have to reflect Christ's character. We have to reflect his character. In verse number 15, Paul is very quick to point out one of the goals of the Judaizers And that is to bring division between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. In fact, in the book of Acts, chapter 15, verse number 1, after they had infiltrated these Galatian churches and they had gone back to the council at Jerusalem to tell them what they had done, they told the Galatian churches they couldn't even be saved if they weren't circumcised. So here's what's happening. The Apostle Paul, on his first missionary journey, goes and plants these churches with Barnabas. Shares the gospel. People are saved and have come to faith in Christ. And the Judaizers, who are now against Paul, come behind him. Tell these churches, "Oh, we know Paul. He's one of us. We're really good friends with him. We know all about him. You guys had a good first person to plant you guys. And he told you about Jesus. He told you about the gospel. That's great. I'm glad he told you about that. But did he mention circumcision? Oh. All that stuff he told you was good and all, but it wasn't it. It wasn't enough. Hate to break it to you, but I guess you're not really saved since you're not like us. That was their goal, to bring division, to bring doubt. And and here's the truth. When the goal is making things us versus them, it always boils down to the prideful intent to boast ourselves. In the debate of be like us, is to say that we are better than the Christ who can save you. You see, in sinful flesh, man's will will always be to have himself seen and reflected. That's just the prideful heart of man. You'll hear people say something like this. In order for you to reach the lost world, you've just got to be like them. You've got to do what they do. You've got to say what they say. You've got to watch what they watch. Listen to what they listen to. Go where they go. He's got to be like them. That's how you're going to win them. Well, how are you going to change them if you are just like them? Say, well, Brent, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with we just have to bring people to church just to share the gospel with them. Oh, I don't either. I think you can share the gospel with anyone anywhere. But when the people in the world... 
including self-proclaimed Christians, are telling them that they can just be as they are, that they're fine as they are, there's nothing wrong with them. And the affirmation of sinful lifestyles, how else are we going to share the gospel with them if we don't bring them to the place where the true word of God is proclaimed? We cannot be like the world to reach the world. In fact, this is why Jesus tells his disciples, yes, you're in the world. I recognize and acknowledge that fact. But because you are of me, you are not of the world. And you cannot be of the world. Paul says, neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision. It doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or not. It doesn't matter what your background is, what your ethnicity is. It does not matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your future. All of us are sinful human beings who need the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And now that Christ has saved us, now that we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we no longer reflect ourselves. We can take it one step further We don't even own ourselves anymore. We have a new master. We have a new king. And it's not Brandon anymore. He's been dethroned. And the rightful king of kings is the one who is over my life. And I belong to him. In the book of Colossians chapter 3, this is how Paul talks about resolving this division. There is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. It does not matter if you are a Christian and you go to this church or the church down the street. If you're a Christian, you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and you are to reflect his life and his character as his spirit indwells In you. Well, Brandon, we're all from different backgrounds. How can we be one and the same? How can we be unified when we all come from different backgrounds? Listen to how Paul talks of it in Ephesians chapter number two. For he himself, talking about Jesus, he is our peace, who made both groups into one. And broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both into one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity." In other words, how can we be one and the same believer knowing that we come from different backgrounds, knowing that we have different histories? Because we are now new creations. We have been born again, as Jesus says in John chapter 3. We have had a new birth. We have a new life given to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says the old life that you once had, it's gone. And the new life that Christ has given you is now here. So now, as Paul says in the book of Galatians chapter 6, 
as those who walk by this rule, who walk by the rule of the gospel, we have been given peace and mercy. That's how we reflect Christ's character. Because we have been given peace and mercy. We have been given peace with God. Because at one time you were at war with God. At one time you were fully against Him. At one time you were fully armed with every weapon to destroy Him. But now He has made peace with you through the cross of Jesus Christ. Now you're at peace with God. There's no longer strife and envy between you. You are at peace. But further, we have mercy from God. Is grace good? Absolutely it is. But let me tell you about mercy. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Mercy is God looking at you with pity and saying, you are a sinful, wretched, rotten sinner who deserves death and hell and condemnation. But in mercy, I will save you and give you eternal life and salvation. That's mercy. Not getting something that you do deserve. Praise God for His infinite mercy. Because had it not been for His mercy, we'd all be hopeless. But now, we have been given peace and mercy. You see, God saved us because who we were and what we were doing wasn't working anymore. It wasn't working out for us. In fact, we were literally working ourselves to death spiritually. And now, He has called us to a life far better than anything or anyone could ever offer us. Because as Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He has called us to a life that resembles Himself. As the Spirit who dwells in each of us, we have been gifted with the fruit of the Spirit. We have been gifted with His presence, with His life and His power. And that is how we reflect His character. You see, when we invite these people to come to church, November the 19th, we don't want them to see us. I'll even take it one step further, and I hope and pray for His forgiveness afterward. But I can guarantee you that your pastor does not even want them to see Him. But we want them to see Jesus. And how are we to do that if we don't reflect His character? It's easy. It's easy for us to see that we are in a time of need. It's also easy to point out and point fingers and to blame as to why things are the way they are. Change is always brought about by action. Change does not happen without action. Action always happens for change to occur. So I close asking this. What are you willing to do to bring about this change? 
What are we going to do? Are we truly willing to turn away the counterfeit? Are we truly willing to call out the ones who are spreading lies? Are we willing to come back to the gospel? Are we willing to truly reaffirm and hold up the cross of Christ? Even if it means that we suffer the consequence? Are we willing to take up His character? Are we willing to display His love and His grace and His mercy? What are we going to do? If we want to see this change happen in the church, we have to do something. If we just sit by and let it happen, we're part of the problem. What are we going to do? In the year 1517, a young man by the name Martin Luther, on October the 31st, went to the doors of the Roman Catholic Church, the church that dictated religion for all people, the place where everyone knew where they could go. A church that he once belonged to. And he famously nailed to the front door of that church what is known as his 95 theses. 95 points of how the Lord showed him what this church is teaching is wrong. Through his life, through his legacy, he began what is known as the Protestant Reformation. And it is because of his stance on the truth His willingness to bring about change that you and I sit here as Protestant believers today. One man took one step of action to bring about a change in the church to bring us where we are right now. What are we going to do to bring change right now? It's up to us. You and I both have been confronted with this truth. You and I both are now forever held accountable for what we do and do not do in the church. In just a moment, we'll have a time to sing together. My prayer is that as God has spoken in this place, that we would be willing to step up in action to bring about change that we need. We are stronger together, but sometimes it just takes a step of one to bring about a multitude of others. Who's the one to start bringing change right now? Let's pray. Lord, these... These were hard words. You knew that I would wrestle with this message. You knew that I would have a hard time coming to grasp with what you want me to say. But Lord, you have a purpose and a meaning for every word 
for every letter of Scripture. So Lord, as you have confronted us, myself included, with the necessity and the understanding of why we need change, help us to take that step of action. Help us to bring about that change. We know that we can't bring change in and of ourselves. We know that we are powerless. But with your spirit, who richly indwells each of us, we find our strength and our power. So Lord, embolden us with your spirit. Place a fire within us that we as your people would stand up and bring the change that we need today. It's got to start with someone. Let it be us. That the lost world around us would not look at us and see just mere believers, just mere Christians, but they would see Jesus. That the gospel, through our willingness to change, would spread to the ends of the nations. And all would know that you and you alone are the God who saves. So help us. Help us to take that step and to bring change where we need it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join us as we sing?
Thank you again for being here with us this morning. Uh, don't forget uh, your Operation Christmas um, child boxes, and there are more out in the foyer if you need them, and uh, also our VIP Sunday coming up. I want to close with this doxology from the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.